When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Game Master Tips, number 18, Campaign Building with James Hutt. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. I haven't seen you in all of like two minutes. <laughs> I know. I know. We both went to the bathroom. Now we're back. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody tuning into this episode of Game Master Tips, this is all about James Hutt's process of campaign building. Um, if you want to learn more about James, uh, we just came off of a, a episode of Cyberpunk Uncensored, uh, where it's just all about James, his background in role-playing games up to current times and working for our Talsorian games. So definitely check out that episode if you want to learn more about James. And this episode is going to be all about his process of campaign building, so let's just get right into it. Um, start at the beginning, you know, let's assume you have your players together, I guess, and you're ready to start planning out your, your game or campaign, wherever you want to start. Just let's walk through it. All right. So I did bring some notes, so uh, I'm ready to go. Uh, and uh, first thing, I'd say that the my GM philosophy, because there are so many ways to do it. And again, the best way to do it is the way that makes you most comfortable and able to provide the best experience to your players. This might not be for you. You know, uh, you got to figure out what your own philosophy is. This one's just mine. Uh, my philosophy is earn buy-in. Um, that means I'm focusing on my players um, because engaged players have more fun. Um, one of the one of the things you can do as a game master that you can't do as a game designer is you can tell that uh, somebody is having a great time directly and you can make that time better or use the fact that one player is having a great time to help have another player have an equally good time by like sort of bringing them together i'll get more into that later uh but and this is in no order of importance i'd say the first thing would be to every session you have to have something for everyone to do uh that means if you've got a net runner uh, in your group, have something with a net architecture in every session. It doesn't have to be a long one. In fact, I recommend it's not, um, especially if you don't have a small party or if you don't have, if not, they're not, if they're the only net runner, you know. Um, make it important and impactful. Um, but you do want to have something for everyone to do. Um, you know, if you've got a solo, this might mean that you're going to need a little bit more combat in this campaign than you might have planned for originally. Um, because if they don't get to do combat or get to use cool tactic skill stuff um, that they're great at, uh, they're going to feel like they didn't get to play as much as other people got to play. Um, a lot of this stuff's going to be social engineering. Um, but to be honest, if you're the game master, you're the person putting everybody else's enjoyment on your back, um, 
grand majority of players want to have fun when they show up at the table. And uh, the more you can make them want that, the more their fun they're going to have, you know. Um, because of that, number two is cherish player agency. Now, this is the positive GM version of don't railroad your players. Um, and what players want when they say, oh, this is railroading, what they want is, I want more player agency. Um, so whenever a player wants to do something, say yes. Um, it may not go the way they want, but at least allow them to find that out on the table and not off the table like, are you sure you want to do that? Focus on the verb, you know, you do that, okay, here's what happens. It's much better to have a player make a bad decision be told to not make a bad decision um, and not play <sighs> because somebody else is going to want to do something and then it's kind of like you skip their turn yeah. and uh, from a game design standpoint skipping someone's turn is the most heinous thing you can do in the entirety of game design it's called turn eating oh it is the original sin um, anyway number three uh, more on the social engineering uh, thing I'm getting on right now um, is to build rituals at your game table. Um, that means if you're having a long-term campaign, and this is always for, I've, I run a lot of long-term campaigns. When I run a one-shot, this is totally different. But uh, for those long-term campaigns, you want to do every game session at the same time and at the same place. Um, that way it becomes a ritual, like going to the gym or going to church. In fact, you might want to think of your Dungeons and Dragons game like you think about church. And if you're a GM, that means you're the pastor. Uh, anyway, uh, you start your sessions. Uh, I like to start my sessions, at least, uh, with a call to the group. Um, something like if you're playing Cyberpunk Red, welcome back to Night City. And you always start it the same way. Because when they hear that, they know class has started. Um, you know, they know not to go get another slice of pizza. Uh, they know to sit down because you're about to say two sentences that are going to lead in immediately into gameplay. This beginning is so important because it sets the tone for your whole session. The first sentence is where and why. Um, it should be a description of the location of the last session and how that relates to why they are there what they did last time in one sentence um the second one is is happening right now and after you say what's happening right now now it's right now <laughs> now you're playing that's it that's all you need to do you don't want to talk about all the characters you met last time you kind of assume that they remember it uh unless they have questions but of course you can ask them during the game, which you just started. Uh, you don't want to ever get into a situation where you're playing half of a tabletop role-playing game. Like, you think you're playing a TRPG, but the solo across the table doesn't think you started yet. <laughs> like, if somebody goes, oh, are we playing? That's, that's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're about halfway through. Uh, four. Uh, you want to plan your encounters or the events 
uh, so that they're flexible enough to be where your players are. Um, a great example is a Arasaka kill team. Well, they're wherever your players are because they want to kill them. Uh, it doesn't matter that your players tried to escape town. The Arasaka kill team is in a helicopter and they're parachuting in. They're where they think they're safe. <laughs> and uh, really, from a from a GM standpoint, it's like all of the enemies show up being like, I'm going to make you have a good time. I exist be killed and for your enjoyment. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's you can escape many things in a TRPG as long as you do so creatively. But one thing you cannot escape is fun. Um, you should make it impossible to escape the fun. Um, this is different from railroading. Uh, that, that's nuance that you'll pick up and you probably already know what I mean. But uh, the way that you can cherish player agencies by letting them escape town and then having something follow them versus there's a blockade at the edge of town, you can't escape. Uh, anyway, again, different styles. It doesn't mesh with you. Do what you feel. You're the GM after all, right? Uh, so where are we at? Five. Uh, you want to level up at the end of game sessions. You don't want to do level ups at the beginning of a game session. If you can help it. Um, it's a... Uh, it's not a very action-y, exciting way to start a game session. And if you start slow, it's going to be hard to accelerate into excitement and enjoyment. Um, you want to start with that. Welcome back to Night City. Two sentences. Now you're playing. Um, and you want to keep that energy throughout to keep it exciting. Uh, you don't want to start with leveling up your character and downtime activities. Those are best. Uh, those are best, you know, set for the end of a session. Sometimes you can't help it, but help it if you can. Um, all right. This next one is about starting a campaign. So maybe I should have started with this. <laughs> uh, we're here nonetheless. Uh, number six is you make characters together in a session zero. Uh, it's important to have a session zero, especially in cyberpunk. Uh because you want to weave together their backstories. In Cyberpunk, we have a life path system that uh, is a great way to do this. And uh, the weaving, that should be your job as the GM in that session. Um, however, maybe put it like this. Hey, you guys, you have a mentor who's a tech, and your rival is a tech. Maybe that's the same tech. How do you feel about that, folk? Um, you don't want to say your his sister. Um, maybe suggest it, but at the end of the day, it is at that point, direct connections between players should be agreed upon by those players. This gets back into the cherished player agency. All right. Seven. Your session one, this is just a tip for a session one. Um, your session one should draw on content from every player's backstory um, and it should end on a cliffhanger personally I like three hour game sessions um, as it's a hard ask I feel I have ADHD uh, 
for anyone to stay engaged for longer than three hours. And uh, those are three direct hours of play because you're starting with that, you know, two sentence. Now we're playing and you end the two hour mark. Ideally, you move to a cliffhanger at. Uh, sorry, you ended a three hour mark at like two hours and 50 minutes. You want to try to move to a cliffhanger. Um, if you're in the middle of a combat, you can do a cliffhanger really easily by having more people show up. Right before the end of the session, more people show up. Oh no, now things are different. People jump through a wall, people enter the door, people repel from the ceiling, anything, just as long as the stakes are raised and the next session can be action from the very beginning. Oh yeah. Nine. Um, with the exception of medical professionals, these are for my games, you know, take, take it to your own game with a game of salt, with a grain of salt. Um, with the exception of medical professionals... No phones. Uh, paper character sheets and real dice, if you can help it. And uh, I'm a weirdo. Um, <laughs> I like I like it best when everyone's dice are readable. Uh, when they are in like a camouflage pattern, uh, for example. That way, when one person rolls a ten, everybody on the table knows knows that there was a crit right then. Um, instead of him, them going, that's a 10. Yeah. Uh, so, hot tip, uh, if you're playing uh, Cyberpunk Red, try to get D6s with a symbol on the 6 die, because when you see two of those symbols, you know immediately that you just scored a critical injury. And everybody at the table sees that too. And uh, I'm a bastard, so I like rolling damage on the table <laughs> without a GM screen. Especially if I've got symbols on my sixes. Because I'm giving you a crit injury, and I'm going to show you, you yeah. know, I can't hide <laughs> anything. You know, Kaiba, I don't know what's in my hand. Uh, no, sorry. Pegasus. I can't believe I got a Yu-Gi-Oh reference wrong. <laughs> Pegasus can't know what's in my hand because I don't know what's in my hand. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, should go back to Toon World, apparently. <laughs> um, all right. When we have the last one, um, this is more of a, this is a final statement about running long campaigns mm -hmm. and maintaining them and keeping them. How do I know when I've done good um, as a GM? You know, what's the sign that you're doing your job? A, smiles. Um, B, Making it to session eight is how you know um, that your group is likely to last. Um, and for me, if a campaign makes it to session eight, I start planning longer campaign beats. So the campaign can have a meta narrative like fighting the man or um, a changing of the guard. If I want to do like a, a theme about like young upstarts or if I want to do like a greater uh, war narrative um, like a war is hell theme um, I want to start introducing those on session 8 and if you got to session 8 you can plan big plan for session 15 when you hit session 8 uh, that's how you know you're likely to be there for session 15 mm -hmm. I don't recommend planning for session 15 at session 3 
Right. Um, you know, plenty of once you get through that first like mini story that you tell at the beginning of every campaign, um, sometimes people are like, that was great. I want to try something else. Mm -hmm. And them's the breaks. Yeah. Things change. Uh, however, if people are having tons of fun and you earn enough buy-in, you might earn the ability to have a longer game with these people in the future. Maybe your next game lasts for more sessions. Maybe that isn't even your goal. Uh, but for me, session eight is when I know in a long-term game that it's likely to go to 15 sessions. Anyway, those are my tips. That's my GM <laughs> philosophy lecture. I'm sorry if it was boring. No, I loved it. I hope you have yeah, yeah, no, I loved it, man. And I, I just want to re reiterate a couple things because I think, you know, for GMs trying to construct their first campaign, you know, think back of like when you first started being a game master or dungeon master, if it was D&D, &D, not cyberpunk, you know, but when you first started, just how difficult it was to really, you know, think of how far you've come. If you could look back at how you were running it then, how you're running it now, and you're just like, wow, you know? So like, oh. that, that's why I, I love these episodes because even what might seem mundane to you or list format you're like well if that was boring but i guarantee uh you know there, there's stuff in there that's interesting especially to new jams and even to experienced ones and i just want to reiterate a, a few things out of that if that's cool which is um yeah go ahead yeah i think i think the the main thing here is you know because railroading is always something that that jams try to avoid i think one cool thing that you said there you know and jams should really think about that is you know, always let the players do what they want to do, even if the outcome doesn't go the way that they planned. Meaning, you know, maybe you're, you don't want them to do what they've decided to do. And instead of just, oh, no, you can't do that. Go ahead and let them do it and creatively find a way that maybe it doesn't work out the way that they plan. You'll get the end result that you wanted anyways, but you didn't railroad them to that point. You let them play their way through it and to it, even if it didn't work out perfectly. And I really like that because, it, man, it, it, it does matter a lot to players when they feel like it's a true open world or a sandbox they can play in versus, you know, just, okay, I guess this is all I got to do. Let me just roll dice the whole time and hopefully it ends up okay. Like that's just boring as hell. So I think that's a great tip to point out. And um, uh, I, I would say just because uh, you have a linear narrative doesn't mean you have to railroad it. You can construct a linear narrative. A lot of times you'll be playing like, um, and I recommend for new GMs uh, that you play pre-written adventures just to get those skills up. Uh, like, don't try to run a long campaign your first time. Just learn how to GM and uh, get get some skills uh, and earn the buy-in for people to say, "Oh, let's try something else." You know, uh, you might have to play different games. Yeah, um, like. At the end of the day, play what your players want to play. Um, play some Cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some Witcher TRPG, of course. Yeah. Fantastic games. I'm not sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> no, and um, I think I, well, I think it's important to say too that you know even if you're you have this this just linear storyline or campaign that you're planning and you, and you did it instead of being scared of those little side missions and tangents a player might go on, you know, say yes to it. Yeah, the out 
outcome might not be what they expected and you can get back to your linear plan but but most of the time man those side tangents can be fun extra sessions to your campaign you weren't expecting the players are going to have fun with it because it was their idea to, to go in that direction um it can it can add to your uh your ongoing campaign and, and create more yeah, you sessions can, you can make anywhere they go the railroad that's true that's true too you, you know? can build you can build your railroad out of your players like tracks mm-hmm. um and uh the other great thing is if the more you uh cherish player agency you get away from like okay what do we do next gm is you're gonna have to do a whole lot less work because mm-hmm. your players are gonna want to go somewhere and then you're gonna have it yeah. uh i think the biggest mistake i made when uh when initially game mastering uh, was over preparedness. Yeah, yeah. Because that leads directly into not cherishing player agency because you don't want to throw away the thing that you did. Um, so there is great, uh, in the Cyberpunk Red Core book, um, there's a great how to GM section that describes oh, it yeah. like um, setting up these cool events. And then uh, sort of thinking of it like a film. And I think it's a great way to get into game mastering on a, uh, on a player's first, story first uh, way. And uh, of course, there's always room for making a cool mega dungeon, sending them through the mega dungeon. The old <laughs> stuff still works. But yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of the, uh, of the how to GM section in the core book. Yeah, I'm going to point you to that if you're new. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I, I was really impressed by that. Um, just how many pages and how many options you guys came up with. And I mean, it's just it's amazing. I loved it. Even as an experienced gem who's been doing it since the 90s, you know, uh, it, there was still some great things in there that you can just extract. And Oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Oh, great twist. And I was already working them in the ongoing campaigns I've got going. It's such a great thing that you guys did there. Yeah, I I'd love to take credit for it, but that's all, Mike. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's the wisdom, you know. That's the wisdom. Yeah. You got to go get the wisdom, guys. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, you know, and that's another thing when it comes to being, you know, more experienced GM, like you said, instead of pre preparing, pre preparing so much, you know, and like setting up all this stuff. You know, it leads to, you, like you said, getting discouraged when they don't go for it and you're losing things that you planned. And then you, you feel like you have to railroad to, to utilize what you planned and like you want to avoid that. So I think the more experienced GMs, you start realizing it's less preparing and more just reacting. And, and it gets more natural as you go, but it's definitely much better if you just, like you know, like you said, give players agency to be able to do what they want to do when they want to do it. And you learn how to tactfully react in a realistic way within that world, you know? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop on that with you. Uh, there's on the other, simil- similarly, um, on the whole other side of over-preparing is I'm just going to improvise everything. That also doesn't work. Right. <laughs> uh, you want to you wanna come at it like a jazz-type thing where uh, you have certain snippets that you like, cool sounds that you want to put in here and there. And a general idea, or at least at the beginning, you have, here's a problem. How are you going to solve it? Um, And if their response is, I don't want to solve that problem, I'll solve another one. I hate to say it's not your fault. It's their fault. Um, (laughs) But uh, you should have a plan even when it's not your fault. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. There is just as much as you can plan too much. You know, you don't want to improvise everything either. You want to at least have a loose plan. And one thing that I came up with, I did a Game Master Tips episode, something I created way back in the day, and you might find this interesting. I call it positive negative, and it's basically how to deal with quick reactions. And I used to use it a lot back in the day. Now it's I rarely use it because I have a better quick response rate when it comes to different situations because of my experience. But here's how it works. Um, if you're a Game Master and all of a sudden a player throws a curveball at you like, they start interacting with a background actor that now they're making an NPC that you weren't planning on giving any, you know, reactions to or whatever. Or they start messing with an item in your world that really was just like a background description. All of a sudden they're making it, oh, where, where did this come from? How does it work? What is it? And all of a sudden you, you got to work with that or they want to take this item or something. Anytime you get a curveball thrown at you, I would do something positive, negative, where I would just, I would roll it my dice. And if it landed on a positive number, I would, I would have a positive reaction. If it landed on a negative number, a negative reaction. And that would break. Do you do that with fudge? How do you get a negative number on it? On a, a negative, you know, if it's a one, three or a five versus, you know, on a one D six. An odd number. I An get odd number. Mean. Yeah. Yeah. Odd number. Yeah, okay. So yeah. And, and what it is, is it would gauge my reaction either being positive or negative. Right. So it would, it would basically at least break that sticky moment where like they, they all of a sudden they're interacting with that NPC. Oh no, I want to talk to him about it. You don't know how to react. Roll that. Okay. It's negative. Yeah. He's giving you dirty looks, you know, and, and maybe the backstory there is the colors you're wearing is some, he thinks you're part of some gang right, yeah, or something. But the, but the point is you got a way you got past the point of, Oh God, what do I do? Exactly. And you got to, I'm going to do this. And nine times uh, out of 10, like- that helps you just instantly come up with ideas because you're not stuck on the initial. Oh my God. It instantly gets you past. And all of a sudden you're comfortable. And then you start thinking of creative ideas. It just works. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have done similar things. Um, I will say that uh, that particular the player starts interacting with an object that you had not designed to be interactable. Um, I call that secret puzzle because was something that you did caused them to believe that this was a puzzle room. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And uh, you better think of something really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, I like to describe less of my uh, of my settings because of secret puzzle. Um, if you start, the scariest thing for a player on the other end is when a GM describes a room in intricate detail. <laughs> That's true. Because they immediately think it's a trap. Yeah. Sometimes people are trying to disarm hallways that you just thought had a cool stained glass window. <laughs> um, you know, um, and if they and then they roll for it and they, you know, they roll poorly and they're like, now it really is a trap. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, you just lean you lean into uh, it if it goes that route at that point. You know. Anyway, that's uh, that's the that's the the danger of over describing your locations. Yeah, most definitely. Um, uh, the the other thing that you mentioned, I want to get into before you know because we got on a little tangent there, and I think it was it was good because we had some other little tips within that. that yeah, bring, tangent. bring us back, bring us back. Yeah, I want I wanted to just reiterate the fact of you you know talking about making sure the players are having a good time. Sometimes GMs, especially new GMs, will get so wrapped up in their own story, doing the rules right, you know, the time that they're doing the campaign, all that stuff they forget to really look at their players' facial reactions to listen to how they react to scenes and things and then play into that to make sure everyone's enjoying it. And like you said, making sure that every session has a little bit of something for every 
uh, player that's there. Whatever their character is, you have something like if it's a net runner, there's at least some type of system or something he can interact with that involves his net running role ability. Or if it's a solo, obviously a little bit of combat or something along those lines. Or if it's a, you know, I really like those tips because it is the foundation of having a successful ongoing campaign. Like you said, if you're you try to make it to at least eight, you kind of feel like okay, cool. I I know that they're dedicated. We can go beyond that. And I think that's a great point to make is always look to, if you make the session eight, you kind of know you're there and you can keep going. But I think in order to get there, the most important part is you you mentioned, make sure the players are having fun. You know, make sure there's a little something for each of them in the session. Yeah, I'd, uh, I think that's the, I mean, creating an environment where people have fun. If people have fun, they'll come back. Exactly. If they don't come back, you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of the in my current game, uh, all my players were I didn't know before. They all showed up, and uh, uh, it's not people I know I've known before. People I've made friends with because they came to my public facing D and D game, um, and uh, sat down and wanted to have a good time. Oh yeah. That's so awesome. uh, so when you're dealing with the, it's members of the public like that, like if you're running a game at a game store, it goes doubly sure you don't have fun in the first session they're not driving out for the second session right you know? um you really do have one shot a lot of the time especially with new players um anyway yeah uh, no most definitely i think like i said i wanted to i wanted to you know kind of uh reiterate that one because i think that is one of the most important ones because it, you know if everyone's having fun it leads to the the other ones, you know, it helps you get to that, that session eight. So you, you know, you can build bigger campaigns and keep going, you know? So I think that's a great milestone that you, you came up with there. It does make a lot of sense. I've seen it plenty of times in my history of playing too. Um, but yeah, is there any other uh, tip or anything that comes to mind uh, for, you know, GMs out there, new or old? Um, I think we really touched on a lot of good stuff. I'm glad you made that list, man. Those 10 points were great. Um, oh, I agree. I, I had some time. Oh, yeah. I figured I might as well. Yeah. Um. Anyway, no, I I feel like I said my piece. Yeah. Uh, just you know, uh, wind back that video. Give this man more watch time. Um. And uh, we'll uh, just hear me say it all again. Oh, yeah. And then you're good. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Anybody tuning in? Hopefully, you found some helpful tips in this. Uh, episode give us a like give us a share definitely go check out our, our talsorian games and give some support uh, cyberpunk red is coming out we're all hyping that so definitely get on board um, thanks so much for joining me james oh it's it's been a pleasure thanks for having me on again rob oh yeah take care